Our scripture reading today is taken from Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 32. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, that would be found on page 1041. It would be on 1041 in the Pew Bibles. Again, that's Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 32. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that we might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loved his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hath his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherishes it, even as the Lord the Church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the Church. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We are thankful that we're having a beautiful day on the outside as well as on the inside here. Uh, we like beautiful days, I guess, anytime, but especially on times that we're planning on worshiping in the park at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And so we're thankful that the sun is shining and that it's almost a perfect temperature outside. And uh, we have, were a little bit leery of that later, uh, it, late in the week this week, uh, this past week. But now we're thankful that things have turned out really nice. And so we want to be sure and invite everybody and make sure that you know about worship in the park this afternoon at four o'clock. Following that will be our a picnic together with hot dogs. Those of you that are members, bring side items that will go along with that. And if you're a guest, just come on. We would love to have you. We'll be worshiping in the amphitheater there. And we will have a lot of other chairs set up, even some of these that are padded and a little bit stronger and nicer for those that would need those. But also, if you want to bring your camp style chairs, you feel free to do that. You will not need them, but we want you to feel comfortable. We, we want you to uh, sit and whatever you are most comfortable in. And also, uh, we look forward to the activities that will also be a part of the evening after the four o'clock. We'll have a five o'clock picnic together and shortly after that, we'll begin some intergenerational activities. Nobody's arm's gonna be twisted unless it's a little one running up and twisting your arm, asking you to participate in it. But we enjoy uh, each other. And really that's a big part of today's lesson is that families are supposed to enjoy being together. And uh, so we hope that uh, we are that type of family and we look forward to being together this afternoon at four. Do keep in mind that uh, we have mentioned a little bit in the past about a, what we think is a little bit of a treat. For several years now, we've mentioned that the picnic in the park would be a perfect place for ice cream. And uh, so finally this year, we found a vintage ice cream truck. It it's, uh, comes with the driver and the black bow tie and the white uniform, even the cap. And uh, he'll be there and have an ice cream bar for everybody that's there. And uh, we look forward to that little treat. It'll be a simple picnic with a real simple dessert. 
And uh, we hope to simply have a great time together, uh, first in worshiping God and then in being together. If you're new to the Mount Juliet congregation, we will show you this map and give you a quick guideline, but feel free to ask anybody after the final amen. If you need clarification, the people around you, uh, they can answer these questions for you. But if you pulled out of our parking lot and went to the left about a mile down the road, you would see a sonic turn immediately as if you were going into that sonic. You'll be turning onto a street there and about a block down will be another street. That street is your right that will take you behind Mount Juliet Middle School. Uh, that's where we park and there'll be buses shuttling you over. Uh, if you're a member, that's where you can drop your food off. And then if you need handicap parking, you drive on into Charlie Daniels Park and there will be a golf cart that will be at the back bumper of your car once you stop. And all you have to do is walk from your seat to the back bumper of your car and then they will drive that golf cart right beside one of these chairs and you get off there. So it's by far the easiest way to worship that you'll have all year long so far as uh, walking. And, uh, and we, we try our best to make it really convenient. And what we found is every generation loves it from the oldest of us down to the youngest of us. And it's truly a wonderful time. If that is not best or convenient for you. We will have worship here at six o'clock in this very room this evening. It's a great weekend and we're thankful to God for a beautiful weather and we're thankful to God for our church family that we can spend time together and truly this afternoon ought to be a special day for our church family. Another special day will be next Sunday. The Lord's Day is always special, but we have an additional activity and that is to honor Miss Pat Huddleston. We'll have a reception to honor her for her 22 years of service as our church secretary. It'll begin at about 4.30 and it'll be a come and go next Sunday afternoon up until worship time. And so we wanna invite you to come and offer your appreciation uh, for all that she has done for us. Her skill is great, her work ethic is tremendous, but her sweetness and kindness and the way that she is a faithful Christian and everything that she does has affected us as a church family in a wonderful and powerful way. And we're thankful for her and for the opportunity to work with her and to uh, have been served by her in so many ways uh, over the many uh, years and a couple of decades. And so this will be a simple way to say thank you. It won't be enough, but this will be a simple way uh, that we will say thank you. As we think about Family Day, we want to tell you about an opportunity that we have. Santino Har is a wonderful man. He is a faithful child of God. He was baptized into Christ a few weeks ago and Many of you, if you were at this late service a few weeks ago, you were here for probably what you have described as one of the most touching baptismal services that you've ever seen. It really was an amazing time. We have uh, gotten to know him better and Don Humphrey has, uh, has continued uh, to study with him and just befriend him. And through this and through a few others, we've learned of a need that he has in his life. And this is something we've asked him if he would mind us helping him with it. And, uh, and so we are thankful that we can tell you the end of this story. Uh, let me go back and, and just read, Don has recapped some things in, in a brief background of Santino's life. And I'd like to share these with you and, uh, and it will also help us to know and better appreciate our brother uh, that, that we love dearly. When Santino was 10 years old, Arab, 
Sudanese soldiers from north came to his South Sudanese village during the night and they set all of the homes on fire. As the people came out of the huts, the soldiers methodically began killing them. To escape being killed by the soldiers, as many people as could ran into the bush, the very tall, thick grass that surrounds villages in that part of Africa. Santino, being just a frightened small boy, also ran. He did not know where his family was. He was just running to keep from being killed. Santino has never seen or heard from his family since that night. Young Santino joined a group of his village and others in the bush running for their lives while being chased by the Arab soldiers. To escape, they hid in the tall grass during the day and they walked at night. They dared not speak as they would be heard and killed, so they only used hand signals. About 4 a.m. each morning, they would go to the river to get water, and then they would slip back in the bush to stay still for the rest of the day. The children followed the bank of the Nile River, knowing that it would eventually lead them to another country. If they came across someone friendly, they would try to get grain for food. Often they would trade their clothes or anything they had for food. Just walking skeletons by now, they were eating leaves off trees or bugs or anything they could find. As they walked, many in the group were killed by soldiers or by lions, leopards, and elephants. The survivors were adept at learning how to avoid the lions and the leopard, but a constant danger was poisonous snakes and crocodiles when they went to the river in the dark for water. Many boys also died of starvation. 10-year-old Centino traveled like this for four months. Finally, crossing into Ethiopia, where he was allowed to stay in a refugee camp. Even here, he was not safe, as those hired by the UN to distribute food were bribed to give them spoiled food, which caused their stomachs to swell, and many of them died. You can see why boys like Santino have been come to be called the Lost Boys of Sudan. It's estimated that 20,000 boys like him escaped from being killed in the war, but of that number, only about 10,000 of them made the journey alive. Young Centino lived in a refugee camp for five years, and when he turned 15, he was recruited to return to Sudan and fight for the freedom of his nation. He was used in guerrilla warfare for 16 years. In 1999, Centino was allowed to go to a refugee camp in Kenya, it was there that he met and married his wife. Four years later, he was selected to come to the United States as an international refugee and become a citizen of the United States in 2011. Santino now has a wife, two sons, 15 and 13, and two daughters, ages 18 and 10, and an additional he is the support, the sole support of a young nephew who has no one else to take care of him. His father was killed in the war and his mother died when he was eight years old. All of these family members live in Nairobi, Kenya, while Centino works here 12 hours a day in a factory, trying to earn enough money to bring his family to America. 
And what we plan to do is help Centino bring his family to America. It's perfectly legal. It just takes a lot of money. Don accompanied him to visit a lawyer which specializes in this. And the lawyer told him to bring that many family members would be a lot of money was the words of the lawyer. He said it would take at least a year with a lot of money. He suggested to go to a charity in Nashville that also specializes in this. And he says they can do it in a year and a half and it would cost less money. It's calculated that the known expenses at this time will be just shy of $10,000 to bring his family to America. Our goal is next Sunday in Bible class, we're going to ask every adult to give $15. And if you can't give 15, that's fine because somebody else here can give 20. And that will be the sufficient funds for all of the known expenses and then the official process can begin. I can't help but think of God's family and how the only reason that we're even formed into a family is because of love. And John, the great apostle of love, wrote to God's family and he said these words, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. We verbally have expressed our love to Santino and others have reached out and made our brother feel welcomed into the family. But next Sunday, our plan is to not just love him in word, but our plan next Sunday is to love him in deed. And I wanna encourage you to begin today praying fervently for this process to bring his family together. Perhaps it'll be a year and a half journey, but it's a journey that can be bathed daily and without ceasing in prayer. And how wonderful it's going to be to see his family together again. It's amazing the power of family. When God's family pulls together, what great things can be done. When a physical family pulls together, what great things can be done. Many of us that grew up in the 70s or either lived in the 70s, we're very familiar with the Waltons. It was what was called a family show back in that day. And what's interesting, it wasn't just that it was family friendly, it was a show where the entire show was about a family. The family just did family every show. And much like Duck Dynasty, where that family just does family, it's appealing. People are drawn to it. 
There's something beautiful about family. But did you know that Ralph Waite, who was the actor who played the character of John Walton Sr., when he became the lead character, the character playing the father, in his own words, he said, I was a wild man. You see, he would drink and get drunk every night. He would be just sober enough to go to the filming of an episode in the morning. They would break for lunch and he would get drunk over lunch and then was hardly no use to the cast after lunch. And the man who is now 38 years sober said this. It didn't take long for Waite to realize he was living a life contrary to the role of the hardworking, reliable father he was playing on TV. He said, I was a caring, responsible father to all these kids, but I was drinking the night before and being drunk on the side. I found a way to get sober. Hollywood changed my life and it turned me into a human being. I would challenge that. I don't believe by any stretch of the imagination that it was Hollywood that changed his life. But I would say it was the opportunity that Hollywood gave him to play a character on a television show that the character was to model fatherly conduct. The, the entire set, the entire script, everything was to exalt family. And when individuals begin to see the value in family, their lives are always blessed. When individuals see the value in family, their lives are always blessed. Listen, we could go across America right now and we could find the communities that have the strongest influence of the two families that God has created. And that is the physical family and the spiritual family, the church. And any community that we find that those two influences are very strong, you're gonna say, this is a great place to live. This is a great place where we can lean upon each other and help each other. Anytime you find a community that does not have the presence of family and they do not have the presence of God's family, we often say, that's a dangerous place to live. Don't let your children go out by themselves. Don't let the elderly live there alone. Those are dangerous places. Why? What are we saying? The influence of families, the physical family as God designed it, and the spiritual family, the church as God designed it, both of those have powerfully affected individuals, communities, and nations. There are a few family characteristics that just come to our mind. Families are people who are joined together. They're often blood related, but for example, husbands and wives, at least not in most places, are blood related. And, and so we think, well, what joins them together? It's commitment to the relationship. Marriage, adoption are nonetheless family, but it comes from commitment to the relationship. They dwell together, they work together, they eat together, they worship together, they play together, they care deeply for one another, they love one another, they forgive one another, they sacrifice for one another. These qualities that we have listed here and we could go on, what are they? They're characteristics of family. 
family the way God designed it. That's what makes relationships richer. That's what blesses communities. That's what makes schools a better place. When people that have experienced that, they are the result of that. They're living that every day. Life is richer. I want you to think about some that were able to carry that over in their life. And we'll mention just a few. Abraham took in his nephew Lot and treated him like a son. Ruth moved in with her widowed mother-in-law and even moved to a foreign nation, taking her in as family. David prepared the kingdom for his son to have a greater kingdom. Solomon wrote a book of Proverbs to help his son live a better life. Paul took care of his spiritual son, Timothy and Titus. Joseph, although we don't find any official paperwork, Joseph adopted Jesus and treated him like his own flesh and blood, even though he wasn't. Jesus looked down from the cross and he made sure that his friend John was going to take care of his mother because he loved his mother. It breaks our heart when we see the man with the demon-possessed son that, that the demon was, was treating this, this son like an epileptic and was throwing him into the fire and throwing him into the water and he would, he would roll on the ground with teeth gnashing. And we, we see the plea of this father begging Jesus to heal his son and we're reminded of the love and the constant care that family will give to one another. Are we here the prayer of Hannah? where she begged God to give her a son and were reminded of the depth of that family bond and how wonderful God designed for it to be. When we go back to the text that we read earlier this morning in Ephesians, the fifth chapter and verse 25, Brother Mark so capably read, I want you to notice there that both of those institutions are married. I'm sorry, both of those institutions are mentioned and it is like marriage. Look, the first one is marriage. Look at Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives. Notice this, this family language here. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. What do we have? First, we have the physical family mentioned that goes back to Genesis, the second chapter and 24, that God made man and woman. Now, remember, he's not here designing the blood relationship. What brings a man and a woman together? It is their commitment to one another. They choose to commit their life to one another. And so he writes this beautiful passage about a man and a woman, a husband and wife that are committing their life to one another. But then he speaks of a second institution, not just the institution of marriage, which is the core of family, but then the institution of the church. Now, it's interesting the way he lays this out here. I'd like for you to look again, same screen there. Look at Ephesians, the fifth chapter. You see there in 25, but look at the rest in 26, that he gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Do you see the spiritual marriage that is to take place for us to become a part of God's family? He uses the word sanctify. When we are living in the world, we are apart from God's family. If we decide that we want to live lives that are sanctified, we have to decide to leave the world. And notice he says that we're washed in the water 
And then notice the authority. He says, by the word. And so when we're coming to the Lord, we repent and we turn away from sins and we are baptized and that's where the Lord forgives us of our sins and we come up out of the water and we've been adopted into God's family. And someone says, why did you do that? Because that's what the word of God asked. Why did you do that? Because I want to be a child of God. I want to be a son or a daughter of God. Why did you do that? I don't want to be in the world any longer. So what you're saying is, let me tell you what I'm saying. I want to be sanctified. I want to be set apart from the world for God's service. I want to be a part of God's family. In this one verse, he not only is referring to both institutions, the physical family and the spiritual family, but in this, he is showing how both are made up of commitment. There are those who will not obey, as this verse says, the word and because they will not obey the word, they stay in the world. They're never baptized into Christ. They never live that sanctified life. Listen, the adoption that God offers is for everyone here today and everyone that is alive. But there will be one reason why everyone will not be adopted to God. And it's because some will not make that commitment to obey the word. Someone says, you really think this passage is talking about the church being a family? Absolutely. Remember, these letters were written as a letter, not chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Just shortly before this passage, he wrote what we record as the second chapter. And if you will, just flip back a page in your Bible to Ephesians, the second chapter, and notice how he's already referred to the church here. We're going to read in 29, Ephesians 2 and 29. Notice the family language as it describes the church here. First, he's going to talk about a citizenship as if we're a part of the Lord's kingdom. But then he's going to talk about the Lord's house. 2 and 19. Now, therefore, we are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that beautiful? Over here, we're part of the world, Satan's kingdom. Over here, we can be a part of God's kingdom. If we're over here, we're strangers to the Lord and to those who are over here. And he says, you don't have to be strangers. You can leave that kingdom and you can come over into this kingdom and you can make this your kingdom. And in other words, to make it intimate, he says, you can become members of the household of God. And that word household is domestic. It literally is the idea, you can live with God. And it's a beautiful thought. How do we live with God? Well, we have to decide, are we going to listen to his word? Look at verse 20 and 21. Having been built on the foundation of who? The apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together. So that's what family does. Joined together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Why a temple? Because that's where the Lord lives. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. 
You want to be adopted into God's family. I want to live where God lives. I want to dwell where God dwells. God says, I have built my home. You can come and be a part of my home. Okay, God, where's your home? I've only built one home on one foundation. What's the foundation? Jesus Christ and Jesus trained apostles he ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit inspired those apostles. They could go out and they could teach the truth of Jesus Christ. They wrote down the truth about Jesus Christ. And now, after the church is established, Jesus is on the right-hand throne of God. He is inspiring this message and he's telling us, you want to be a part of this kingdom? You want to be a part of the family of God? You want to live in God's house? You're going to have to listen to Jesus and his apostles. If you want to obey them, you can be a part of God's family. If you don't want to obey them, you can remain in the world. And somebody says, listen, listen, I believe the Bible is a little bit outdated. I still love Jesus and I still want to be a part of God's family, but I'm not willing to build my spiritual relationship with God based on a book that's 2000 years old. And God says, you can't have a relationship then. Either I'm going to be the authority of your life or you can go over here and you can tell yourself you're your own authority, but really you only have the master Satan to thank for that. Friends, there's a family, a family of God. And that family of God has a distinguished characteristic. Those that are adopted into that family are those that have said humbly, here I am. And God says, Here's my word. And we say, I'll obey. How'd the church begin? Some of you have been around a long time in scriptures. You know where it began. But really, for just a moment, stop and think. Acts, the second chapter, be turning there. How did the church begin? What was the distinguishing characteristic of those who became a part of the Lord's church on that day? There were those that gathered that were a part of the world. And there were those that left that day that they left a part of God's family. There were some that left that day and they were still a part of the world. Why did some become a part of the family and why did some not become a part of the family? In Acts the second chapter, we read very powerful sermon and then we come down to their response to that sermon. And then we have a description of the response, okay? And for this lesson, all we have time for is a description of the response. Let's begin in verse 40 of Acts, the second chapter. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted saying, be saved from this perverse generation. That's out here living in the world. He's saying, be saved, be separate. Don't stay there. Come over here. Then those who gladly received what? His word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added. What was the difference? There were more than 3,000 souls there that day. Why did only 3,000 leave there that day added to the church? Well, the 3,000 that were added to the church were, were the ones that received his word and obeyed it. Others did not obey it. That was the difference. Some left lost, some left saved. Jesus offers salvation as a net thrown out to all mankind. 
and the part of mankind that says, I don't want to humble myself. I don't want to follow your doctrine. Now, what about those that do? Well, there were 3,000 that said they wanted to. Now, what do you think they continued in? Let's continue reading. If they did that in order to be saved, what did they do next? And they continued steadfastly. Any surprise here? In the apostles' doctrine. That's the apostles' instruction because they were teaching what Jesus had taught them to teach and what the Holy Spirit inspired them to teach. And they also continued in fellowship. Fellowship is the idea of communion. It's the idea of the Lord's Supper. It's the idea of sharing and work and ministry together. The word fellowship is a broad word, but it is beautiful. Right now, we're fellowshipping in worship. We're worshiping together. This afternoon at four o'clock, we'll go worship together again. And after that, we'll fellowship. We'll eat a meal together. And after that, we'll laugh and, and just enjoy each other's company. We'll do that together. We'll go through difficult times together with a brother and we'll help each other out. And, and with a sister, we'll honor and we'll rejoice together. Listen, family does things together. Family goes through difficult times together. Family honors and celebrates good times together. But we always do it together on that foundation of Jesus and his teaching, on the apostles and his teaching. And so once that is what saved them, that is where they continued. And then they enjoyed the fellowship and the breaking of bread. It may have been fellowship meals or he may have been talking about the Lord's Supper there. Context has to demand it. And context isn't real clear in this verse. It doesn't matter which one it is. They continued in both. We know they did. And they also continued in prayer. A church that continually prayed together but now I'd like for you to notice, I'm not just the one emphasizing this. Luke is emphasizing as he's recording it. Look in verse 44. Now all who believed, see that's the one that had believed and obeyed that we read earlier, were what? Together. You say, preacher, are you really making a point that simple? I really am. If we want to be together with God, it will be determined on whether or not we believe and obey. And if I decide I'm going to believe and obey and I'm going to stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ and you decide that you're going to believe and obey and you stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ, now we're standing together. Not because you and I decided what we're going to come up with as a standard of belief. We're together because we have believed the standard that God has given us. And so now that you and I are together on that, what do we do? We share in life together. We fellowship together. We worship together. We study together. We serve together. We eat meals together. We enjoy each other's company together. Why? God would say, because you're family. That's what families do. Families live together. Uh, and, and they were in a unique situation right here because they still had Jews from all over the world that had been converted. And so they're living like on an extended vacation that wasn't planned to be an extended vacation. And so they probably maxed out their credit cards and they didn't have enough to, to take care of themselves. And so then the other Christians around that were local had to start taking care of them. And so what did they do? They started selling things they had in order to be able to help the other Christians. And so notice here as we continue to read 45, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And continuing daily with what? 
one accord. That is emphasizing the togetherness. That is a compound word in the Greek that, that one word is homo is the idea of the same as and the other is passion. In other words, they were together in this and it was a, a passionate together. It was a fervent, if you will, togetherness. What were they passionate about? Well, they were continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food. Now, please note this. They ate their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. God's family is supposed to be a place where things aren't all complicated, where it's not all difficult. God's family is to be a place where things are simple. We love God, we follow His Word, and we love the other people who love God and follow His Word and count them as family. Now, let me clarify. We love those who do not love God, but we count the ones as family who are part of God's family. Friends, that's about as simple as it gets. And he says, he says, I want you to have that kind of gladness. I want you to have that kind of simplicity. And I want you to have that kind of devotion like you would to family because you are family. This morning, I hope you love the family of God. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter and 28, he went back to speaking to husbands and he said that they ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his own, his wife loves himself. But then notice what he does in 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. You see, you think there for a moment, oh, he's teaching only about marriage. And he's saying, husbands, you ought to love your wife just, just like you love your own body. You nourish your own body. You protect your own body. Now go out and nourish and take care of your wife. And we understand that. It's a beautiful teaching. But then notice, he closes out that verse by saying, just like Christ does the church. Wait a minute. The church is only in existence because God gave his body to be sacrificed. And we as the church are the body of Christ. That's why he's saying this. He's saying, do you realize you enjoy marriage because they're two individuals that have committed themselves together to each other. We enjoy a relationship in the church because it's a type of marriage. God is committed to us and we commit to him. Well, let's go ahead and read the next verses and the lesson's yours. Look at the fifth chapter. A lot of scholars even struggle with this because there is a mystery to it and it's beautiful. And I'll just tell you the things that I think we can know and then you can see all the application of things that, that are just beautiful beyond that. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, you would think at first glance, he's talking about the husband and wife again. Notice what he says in 30. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Now, when you look at it just a little more carefully, you say, wait a minute, but it says his flesh and his bones. You see what he's doing in the very next verse, he's going to quote Genesis 2 and 24, which is the pattern for marriage. If you go back to Genesis 2 and 24 and you back up one verse, the verse right before that is when Eve is revealed to Adam and he looks over. He's been naming all the animals that day. And now Eve is presented to him and he says, because she's taken a rib out of his side. He says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman 
You see, Adam was referring to the origin of Eve. God made her from his side. Now what does Paul do here? In verse 30, he is showing, do you realize where the church came from? The church is literally the body of Christ and it is made from the body of Christ. Bone of Christ's bone, flesh of Christ's flesh. And then he quotes verse 24 of Genesis 2 here in verse 31, the institution of marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. But then notice what the very next phrase is. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Wait a minute. I thought when you were quoting Genesis 2 and 24, you were talking about the marriage between a man and a woman. He says, oh, it's a mystery. I'm really speaking about Christ and the church. A commitment. Where a man, Jesus Christ, a groom, has committed his life to a bride, the church, she comes from his side, just like Eve came from Adam's side. They commit their life to each other and they become one flesh. They become one family. And he says, that's the mystery I'm talking about. Two great institutions. The institution of marriage and the family and the institution of when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ as a type of spiritual marriage and we become a part of the family of God. Brethren, nothing has touched America or the world like those two institutions. They're supposed to be blessings. We don't always do them perfectly. Sometimes we get hurt there, and that's not God's design. Sometimes people in our physical families hurt us. That's not God's design but we have to stop and say, who am I going to be in that family? Am I going to be the family member that I should be? I can't live everybody else's life. I can decide what kind of family member I'm going to be. The Lord saves me and adds me to his family, the church. And here I am, an imperfect person, worshiping with imperfect people. It's not always going to be everything it ought to be, but let us not forget who we are. We're God's family. This morning, I hope that each of us takes responsibility to be the member of the family who ought to be at home, but to make sure that we value and appreciate the place that God has given us in the spiritual family, the church. I hope that those that are on the fringe and they've never made this family their family, I hope they'd risk enough to do that because God's plan was never to be saved and live on the fringe. God's plan was to be saved and become the very core of a beautiful family. Let's love each other. Let's serve each other. Let's go through difficult times together and good times together. Let's worship pour out our heart and soul together. Let's study His Word and serve together because that's what God's family has done 
for about 2,000 years now. We're about to sing a song of encouragement and if you're ready to respond at this time, we encourage you to do that, but please note this. Maybe you're a guest this morning and we've studied about some things about God's family that you've never thought about. We'd love to just sit down with you and open up His Word and just study more. We really do want to increase God's family because ultimately, that's the family delivered into heaven. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ or you're ready to be restored, if we can help you in any